0: I want you to put your thinking caps on this morning. Ready? All right. I want you to ask yourself and answer the question to yourself: How do you pursue God? One might answer, "Well, uh, I'm one of the fifty that's here, sitting in this room, listening to your sermon, or I'm I'm there on the uh, on the uh, video l- l- watching me. I mean, does that count for something? I say, yeah, it does." got you there yep how else have you pursued god this past week intentionally let me ask you a second question how do people know that you pursue god and again you could answer well i'm here in church listening to you give this sermon and i mean that says something to somebody doesn't it well it does it's not all bad it's not all bad but it is a far cry From what many have done down throughout history in an attempt to pursue God, his favor, and the favor of men. Here's a picture of one. Take a good look at this. He's pursuing God. While you're looking at that, let me offer you a few other illustrations of what people have done. St. Jerome, a monk, is said to have lived 30 years exclusively on a small portion of barley bread and muddy water. There's the record of another monk who lived in a hole and ate his daily portion of five figs. A third is said to have never cut his hair, only on Easter Sunday. And now you come to think of it, some of you guys here, you could probably relate to that a little bit. And then there's Saint Macarius of Alexandria who slept in a marsh and exposed his naked body to the stings of venomous vipers and flies. What are they saying? What they're saying is this. I'm going to be a holy man. And you're going to see how holy I am by observing everything that I'm doing. Some lived in dens of wild animals. Others in dried up wells. There were those who uh, lived among the tombs of the dead. Then they're the grazers, the grazers of Mesopotamia and parts of Syria who, uh, never ate bread, never, uh, ate flesh, but they lived on the mountainside grazing like cows. And where does it lead? Where does this go? Apostle Paul said, he knows. He knows it will eventually bring people to bondage and chaos. And that is why Paul says, resist these men. Don't let them deceive you. The things they are saying now, they may seem tame enough at the moment. But mark my words, Paul says, a number of months from now, a number of years from now, there's no telling where this may lead to you and where you may end up if you succumb to their intimidation. Now when we listen to these illustrations, and some are pretty extreme, I have to admit, uh, your response is probably, well, I'm not gonna crawl about like a cow eating grass the rest of my life, and I'm not about to live in a hole, and I'm certainly not gonna run around the neighborhood allowing mosquitoes to bite my naked body to live a holy life. And that's probably true. At least I hope it's true. <laughs> But neither should you begin to think that this has nothing to do with you. Because I'll tell you what, this approach to holy living is being practiced today by many more people than you realize, in a milder form perhaps. But with with the intention of winning the battle against indwelling sin by avoidance. And it cannot be done neglect of the body will never cure the soul now people will say you know i'm gonna make myself i'm gonna make myself live as a holy person i'm gonna lock myself in the closet that'll do it won't it no it won't no it won't and today we're going to find out why so in our study the past several months several weeks rather we we've learned that paul had heard of the colossians faith in the gospel He was concerned about these newborn babes in Christ. False teachers had risen among them and had threatened to hijack their faith. Referring to chapter 2, verse 8, which says that they would take you captive through philosophy and empty conceit. Now, Paul mentions there three things that will hijack the believer then and now. We've looked at the first two. Legalism or what we might call empty ritualism, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Then the past week, Dave uh, referred to mysticism, spoke on mysticism, verses 18 and 19, and that notes that it leads to deceptive humility, deceptive worship, deceptive experiences, deceptive pride. And now, in these final verses of chapter 2 of Colossians, we note Paul's response to this third falsehood that is a threat that's taking foothold in the church. It's called asceticism. Asceticism. So let's read about that as you turn your Bibles to Colossians 2, 20 to 23, or in your smartphone, wherever you got there, turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. I'm going to read it for us. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why as if you were still in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used. According to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Asceticism. What is it? Let me give you this working definition. Asceticism is the systematic, severe self-denial of ordinary, normal bodily pleasures as a means of obtaining a holy life. Now, in reading that definition, there is nothing wrong with the motivation. The motivation is to live a holy life. And certainly the scriptures tell us that we urge us to, to live a holy a life. But the problem in it comes in the manner in which the ascetic is to go about to achieve his goal of holy living. So underlying this approach, there's a basic error concerning man's body, man's soul. The ascetics believe that the body was evil, the soul was good. So to take care of the soul... They neglect the body. They neglect the body without, with the, with the misunderstanding that it'll never cure the soul. And here's why. Paul gives these four reasons why in these four verses. First, asceticism's foundation is built on man's worldly ideas. Asceticism's foundation is built on man's ideas. It doesn't come from God. It comes from the mind of man in the worldly ideas and ideals and principles. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you submit to them? I like how the NIV puts it a little bit better. It says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world... Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? In other words, the religion of the false teachers was and is worldly religious. The world cannot do without religion. You find it all over the place. In the summer of 1979, Kim and I went to Kano, Nigeria. We flew to Kano, Nigeria, and then we traveled up into the northern part of Nigeria with five other uh, seminary students, their spouses, and a professor. And what we found ourselves in the midst of was tribalism. You could go 10 miles in a different direction and you'd, and you'd come up with another tribe. Another tribe that had its own culture, had its own religion, worshipped its, its own things, spiritism. And so what we found is that wherever you went, it was the God of the water or God of the fire or God of the, of the sun And wherever anthropologists have gone around the world, they've discovered religion. The world rejects Jesus Christ and in so doing, it removes itself from the possibility of knowing the living true God. But in its never-ending pursuit and quest, it creates a religion for itself that's devoid of all truth. It's devoid of Jesus. It rejects Christ and creates its own religion. That's Romans chapter 1, isn't it? C.S. Lewis explains as well in his book, Screwtape Letters, that the devil the devil is more than happy to accommodate man's pursuit of God. Satan sends out his apprentice demons, and he, he doesn't send out them out in a full assault. What he does is he sends them out on a mission to come alongside the, the, the religious the religion of the day. To convince people that what they have in their religion is all they need. And it's all they'll, they'll ever want. And in so doing, they reject the truth of Christ. That's his scheme. That's the devil's plan. It's a religion that looks to the temporal rather than the eternal. It's a religion that rejects, and denies the virgin birth, that denies Christ and his deity. Very religious. Lots of external activity. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people caught in its wake. Hooked into, hooked into it. But Christ followers, they're marked by grace. And they're marked by humility. And it teaches that the only way to God is to be saved by grace. Colossians 1 verse 6. It was the grace of god in truth that is what the colossian church had put themselves put their faith into it's the grace what grace does is that it brings every man or woman to the same level before god irrespective of their of their education of their intellect of their of their financial security their race or any other thing by which man judges himself against his fellow man ours is nothing when it comes before God. And man finds that very humbling. I mean, for a man who will do well in his business, as many of you, successful in their family, as many of you, respected in their communities, among their friends, to get down on their knees and to cry out to God, Lord Jesus, help me come into my life and save me. And help me to be the person you want me to be instead of the one I've been trying to be all these years? That's very, very humbling, isn't it? So then, the human worldly tendency, full of pride, is to reject grace and to adopt the strategy of the prince of this world. Which is what? Well, it's to offer man a religious experience. It's... On the basis of rules, on the basis of regulations, on the basis of external activity. And this is how they remain outstanding and acceptable in the community. I mean, after all, all these external things are what we're all looking for, isn't it? It, It's Can't we all agree that that is the key to holiness? That that is the key to spirituality? And Paul says, no, no it is not. They are the elemental spirits of this world. It's worldly religion. It's worldly spiritual spiritism. It's the basic principles of this world, which in Christ have been left behind. Because when one is in Christ, they are in the rearview mirror and mean nothing in one's journey along with Christ as a Christ follower. So not only is asceticism founded on basic principles of this world... But asceticism, secondly, takes on the form of man-made rules, regulations. And we get a taste of that in of 21 and 22. They're man-made rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that will perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. Verses 21 and 22. Now these human prohibitions, they're worldly. They're man-made. They, they, they're self-imposed. And all these things are going to be washed away. Why? Because they are based on human commands and regulations. And the false teachers define spirituality in terms of one's submission to the regulations that they've laid down. This is what we say. Do it. Like, like those of whom Isaiah wrote. In Isaiah 29, verse 13. These people come near to me with their lip, with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. See, this is an indictment that Jesus brought, the same one against the religious leaders of his day for neglecting God's commands in favor of men's traditions. And Jesus quoted this very verse from Isaiah 29 in Matthew chapter 15 and jesus is here quoting that same verse to you and to me today see these false teachers were saying you'll never be holy until you really get a hold of this so instead of relying upon the indwelling work of the holy spirit in one's life they're taught to rely on regulations become an ascetic and In your approach to life, pursue God. Cure your soul by denying your body. And Paul says, I have to admit, it looks good. Which brings us to point number three. Asceticism deceives people and looks like the way to God. It deceives people and it looks like the way to God. Paul writes, verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. And then the end of verse 23, but they are of no value. They appear it like they mean something, but they're of no value to God. Regulations have an appearance of wisdom even today. Even today, men and women are inclined to use regulations to assess what's going on in the lives of the people around them. Well, I'm not sure what you're saying about Jerry, because I'll tell you what. Jerry's one heck of a guy. He's an outstanding individual, an upright kind of guy. I'm very religious. Upright he may be. And religious he may be. But is he a Christ follower? You see, we're not talking about being religious. We're not talking about man's attempt to reach up to God. So what are we talking about? (laughs) We're talking about God, who in his grace decided to show himself to man, came down to this earth to be one of us, and died for our sin, and was raised up for our justification, who's now seated at the right hand of God, To make intercession for you and for me and who will one day come back to judge this earth the quick and the dead we're talking about a living savior who comes into the hearts of a man or a woman come to that place of faith in their life they put their trust in christ so now they have a new life they have a new power and then they have a new lifestyle now, certainly it changes the external activity of that individual, but the change in one's external activity is not the key to entrance into the kingdom. That's the mistake that's commonly made. And I'm sure there were those in the Colossian church who had a hard time accepting Paul's diagnosis. That they might very well say, well, you know, Paul says this is the way it is, but when you look at these people, when you look at these people... They are marked by wisdom. They are marked by worship. And they are marked by rigorous, rigorous devotion. You're certainly not going to tell me that Saint so-and-so is not a Christian. You're certainly not going to tell me that that religious leader that we all know and that we all look to may not be a Christian. fact of the matter is they may or they may not. But if we are using external characteristics... As the basic principles of this world, mere human traditions of men, as a proof of one's spirituality, then we may as well close our Bibles. The fact of the matter is, only God knows. Brings me to point number three. Or four. Asceticism is the foundation is built on man's worldly ideas. Asceticism takes the form of man-made rules and regulations. Asceticism deceives people and looks like the way to God. Fourthly, asceticism is futile and is of no value to stopping sin. Neglect of the body will never cure the soul. Not only are these prescriptions for the body negative, but they are also trivial. They, they, they make no difference. They have no eternal consequence. Growing up in, <coughs> excuse me, growing up in Central New York, I, I found it peculiar. That some of my friends could only eat fish on Friday. No cheeseburgers? Why? Well, it's against their religion. Basic traditions of men. But you know what? I even saw that in my own family. Growing up. When I was a child, I was told you, you couldn't play sports on Sunday. I couldn't go outside and throw a ball. And I couldn't read. The funnies in the newspaper. And I certainly couldn't go shopping. Even after the blue laws were lifted. Couldn't go shopping. Or we'd feel guilty if we did. Why not? Who said? Traditions of men. Now. Now. These are tiny illustrations of a whole system of man-made religion which may seem for a time to satisfy the spiritual longings of, of a heart of a man or a woman. And at the same time, it'll keep them from the grace and the reality of grace of Jesus Christ. So their faith has not found a resting place in Christ. Rather, their faith has found a resting place in dictates. And it is external And it will never allow for one to come to the discovery of who Jesus really is. They have an appearance of spirituality, but they are useless. And not only that, but they can be harmful as well. So, this morning we've come a long way from St. Macarius and St. Jerome, haven't we? Some of us here are here because our hearts have been searching for God. In our hearts, in recent days, there's been something within us that's begun to move. And it's grown within our hearts. And there's a dissatisfaction of everything that we've known about religion in the past and faith and practice. And it's just left us empty. And, you know, while we may be successful in our in building our homes or growing our families or establishing our careers, we've asked ourselves, is this the key to my existence? Is this what God has in store for me? We intended it. That is, if there is even a God. And some of us have gone so far as to even go back to church. That's a good start. Go back to church. You know, I think I'll go back to church. That's that's why I think I might find something. And in so doing, you've adopted an outward activity. And that's okay. Hey, I'm glad you're listening to truth this morning. But maybe you've found as you continue down that road and continue to do the things that all these other people in the church do, over the course of time, there's an increased... Longing in your heart that comes back and returns and that's because you don't have the compulsion within yourself to do these things but that's because you, you've adopted it from without and you're not compelled to do it from within why is that? here's why It's probably because you've never come to know Jesus Christ for yourself. It's because you're trying to live an external lifestyle without an internal life. You're trying to live a spiritual life without the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's because you assume that God is pleased with your mere religion. That if he was, then Jesus would never have died. Because neglect of the body will never cure the soul but only jesus here's something that we as christian parents need to consider these ascetics were trying to convince people by their external outward activity that there was a contamination of their body that was the problem so the key to the whole work of the ascetic was to deal with this realm the external now, there's no question that we as parents, we need to teach our children certain things about life that are wrong, you know, certain things you shouldn't touch, certain things you, you shouldn't taste and put into your mouth. There are certain things and places you shouldn't go and on and on, and you get that. But if the Christian father and mother, if all they give their son or daughter is an external framework of existence and do not introduce them to the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, then chances are they may very well grow up with an external faith void of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. And that's why it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God says to the children of Israel, I want you to Take these things, and I want you to teach them to your children. I want you to talk about them when you go on the streets. I want you to talk about them when you're sitting down for a meal. I want you to talk about them when you tuck them into bed. But what is the first thing he tells them? I want you to write them on their hearts. I want you to write them on your hearts. It starts with heart. Starts with heart. It starts with a heart that's been surrendered to Jesus. That's what's missing. When all else you're trying to do is just religious. And then the kid grows up and he gets to be 18 and all he has are taboos. And in his heart, there's nothing to compel him or to propel him to that kind of a lifestyle. There's no reality. And so he says, what's the point of all this really? I don't feel any holier. I'm not getting any better. And in all my thoughts that I have, I have no power over them. It makes no difference. And all I'm doing is shutting myself off from doing all these things. Don't do this and don't do that. Oh, for what? For what? Just so I can be the kind of person my mom and dad want me to be? You see, first you become the person God wants you to be. And then these things fall into place. And so how do you do that? By telling God that you agree with him this morning, that you're a sinner. And and, and in the ways that you've tried to be good and follow the rules and look religious to other people and try to be religious in your own mind, they've left you empty. And that you long for something more. That you long and you're asking Jesus to fill that hole this morning. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. What are you putting your faith in? Why are you trying to live the spiritual life on your own? Without dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit within. You know, if this study of asceticism should say anything to us, it should move us to love the Lord Jesus who died and saved me all the more. Love him. Should cause you and me to get on our knees and thank him for his grace for his forgiveness and it should bring to our remembrance that God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble because now you know from your study of asceticism that neglect of the body will never cure the soul but only Jesus only Jesus, only Jesus will Only Jesus can, only Jesus, if you will first humbly come to him and give him your heart. I encourage you to do that this morning. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, thank you for sending to us our Savior, Jesus Christ so we need not struggle through life and our own efforts seeking to win your approval and seeking to win others acclaim but that it is through faith in Christ that we can stand boldly in your presence clothed in your righteousness certainly not our own may the life that we live spring out of a heart of love a love for you every day because we know and we are convinced that there is no other way than Christ alone. Thank you for dying for our sins. Christ alone. For forgiving us. Christ alone. In whose name we pray. Amen.